Well, we're in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 down through verse 26. And we're going to be dealing with, over the next Sundays, some hard topics. Jesus ended the last little section of the Sermon on the Mount with this statement. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So that verse begs the question, what does a righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees look like? What does this radical righteousness look like? I want you to understand some things about the Sermon on the Mount real quick that I was reminded of this week, especially as we were driving down to San Antonio. Number one, the Sermon on the Mount is not what you do to get into the kingdom. It is what kingdom people are. It's who they are. It's those who are already in the kingdom. This is a guideline, a set of principles that we are to live by. This is what defines who we are. Okay? And you must understand that what Jesus is trying to get across to these that are in his congregation at that moment while he's teaching this sermon, you can't do this. None of this is possible in and of yourself. The sermon is to draw them back to Him. He is the one. Because what we studied last weekend was what? I've not come to abolish the law, but I've come to accomplish it. And He is the only one that has ever done that. He's the only one that ever will do that. And if I want a righteousness that is... What, radical enough to get me into the kingdom of heaven? I've got to have his righteousness, not my own. And so you must understand we study the Sermon on the Mount. These are not things you do to get into the kingdom. And every bit of that we study here is pushing you back to Christ. So Jesus said, if you want to know what radical righteousness, exceeding righteousness looks like, Jesus gives us six examples. And I'm going to tell you something. They are very hard topics. Anger. Lust. Divorce. Love your enemies. Be people of your word. These are tough topics. And I think they are topics that are being ne neglected in our churches today. People are afraid to talk about lust. People are afraid to talk about divorce in church. When it is in the Word of God. Are we to be people of our Word? Should we love our enemies? That's a topic. That's a real hot topic. So this morning, we're going to deal with anger. What does Jesus say about anger? So I want you to look with me. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 down through 26. If you don't have a Bible, there's one right up here on this big screen. You want a large print? Here it is. I want you to note this phrase right here. 
You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But note this phrase, but I say to you, That everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So right off the bat, look up here. He is already, verse 21, you murder, you're liable to judgment. You're angry, you're liable to judgment. So what has he done? He has put anger and murder on the same plate. Look what he says. Whoever insults his brother will be liable of the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. One thing you need to understand about anger. Anger comes with responsibility. You will be liable. You will be liable. You will be liable. If you get angry... You're going to be held responsible for your anger. Okay? Verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Verse 24. Leave your gift there before the altar and go first. What does he say? To be reconciled to your brother. So first, go to your brother, then come to God. Then you said in verse 25, come to terms, come to terms quickly. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you're put into prison. And look at this. Truly I say to you, and I want you to note this statement right here. You will never get out until you have paid. And this is the key word right here. Somebody always does with anger. Somebody always does with anger. Until you have paid the last penny. The last penny. Every aspect of the Christian's conduct must be characterized by a righteousness, Jesus said, that supersedes appearance. In other words, it goes below the external. It goes deep, Jesus said. Supersedes. So the first example that Jesus gives to us for Exceeding righteousness that gets us into the kingdom is murder. This radical righteousness, murder. What is Jesus saying here? And I want you to, I want you to understand this. There is a fatal effect on relationships, Jesus said, where there is contempt and words become weapons. So Jesus is teaching us to do everything we can can to keep 
every relationship alive. Preserving its life. Sustaining life in that relationship. And so Jesus is teaching us that kingdom people, this is how you act in a relationship. Whether it's a marital relationship, whether it's a a social relationship, whether it's a relationship with enemies, you have a relationship with people. And Jesus begins his whole little example, set of examples, six of them to be exact. He talks about retaliation. He talks about loving your enemy. He talks about oaths. He talks about divorce. He talks about lust. And he, he kind of starts it out. He opens the door to this six-fold description of what radical righteousness looks like by saying, listen, you better do everything you can to keep every relationship you're in alive. Because where there is contempt and where there is, my friend, where there is words that are used as weapons, it will kill. It will kill. It will kill. So do we, here's a self-examination, do we value our relationships? Do I realize how important people are in my life? Do I take my relationships for granted? Do I understand that my earthly relationships will affect my heavenly relationship? So number one, Jesus makes a strong statement in verse 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, You know, I'm amazed at how Jesus' words here in the Sermon on the Mount flow with the Old Testament. It's like like we're going to unhitch and reattach ourselves. I had a seminary teacher who used to teach us, and I'll never forget it. He said, the old is the new concealed, and the new is the old revealed. There's this harmony. There's this, there's this, this flow. And Jesus said, you know it's been said of old. He's not denying what they said of old. But here's the problem. Here's the problem with you and I in relationships. Most of us exist in relationships in a gray area. Jesus said, no, we got to get to the, this thing's either black and white. And so this is what he's saying. He said, I'm not denying that murder's wrong. But he said, I'm going to take it a, a step deeper. He said, I, you have heard of old, verse 21, that whoever's guilty of murder will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable of judgment. Then he goes down through there and talks about anger. So here's a strong statement. Now, let me, let me say this about relationships because maybe we need a little relationship one-on-one. The desire or the want of the relationship hinges on a high regard for that person. I want that person. I desire that person because I have a regard for that person. But regard is a healthy sense of respect and admiration. So if I have this healthy sense of respect and admiration for this person, it leads to desire. It leads to want. Amen? That's just, that's just relationship 101. Whether it's marital, whether it's whatever it is. Social relationships. Whatever it is. And so contempt 
Now I want you to understand this word contempt because this is the kind of anger Jesus is talking about. Contempt goes beyond having no regard to this toxic dislike and feeling of disrespect. And let me say, contempt is fueled by anger. Here's what Jesus is saying. Those who are guilty of contemptuous anger, you are guilty of hell. You are guilty enough to go to hell. You are in the same boat as a murderer if you have contemptuous anger. This Toxic dislike for someone. Now, what is, well, what does contempt look like? Let me give you some examples dismissive and belittling language. You're dumb, you're lazy. This belittling language that sometimes we use. Idiots. What does contempt look like? Sarcastic responses to questions. Jokes that end up being jabs. Half-truths. Contempt is eye-rolling, sneering, dismissive body language. What does contempt look like? Physical distance. Feeling repulsed by even being around that person. Let alone they don't, when they touch you. What does contempt look like? Stonewalling people. Silent treatment. Shutting down emotionally. Ignoring the other person. What does contempt look like? Criticism and blame. Now, can I be vulnerable with with you just a moment? Y'all good with that? I fall under number six at times. Because I have been guilty of shutting down emotionally and drawing myself in. That 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 is a contempt for that person. And Jesus says this. Those who were guilty of contemptuous anger are guilty enough to go to hell. Now here's what Jesus is not doing. Jesus is not forbidding all anger. There is justifiable anger. Have, has anybody re- realized that we live in a, a very angry culture? A very angry society? Anger without wisdom? People are mad. You ask them why? They don't know. They're just mad. They're just mad. Whatever the, whatever the mass is mad at, they're on board with it. I'm mad at that. I'm angry with that. Some people aren't glad unless they're mad. And misery always loves what? Sure. And Jesus says, listen, there are some justifiable reasons for anger. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Paul's not saying don't get angry. He said just don't let that thing get out of control. There are some things that ought to make you angry. Now, listen, wherever your mind went at that moment, make sure it's not contemptuous anger. Yeah, because Jesus said if that is, you're guilty enough to go to hell. Aristotle said this, anybody can be angry, that's easy. But to be angry at the right time, at the right person, to the right degree, for the right purpose, in the right way, is not within our power and it is not easy. End of quote. So un, un, what is Jesus talking about here? Unrighteous anger. Anger at personal affronts. You're walking around with a chip on your shoulder. Waiting for somebody to knock it off. That is the anger Jesus is talking about here. And seldom do these people get mad over sin. They don't ever get mad over sin. But you let some personal affront, and man, they are infuriated. Jesus said, that's the anger that I'm talking about. And this is what he's saying. This is what Christ is saying here in verses 21 and 22. Words do so much damage. And who, listen, who can deny the fact that we are living in a very, very wordy culture? Listen, we have redefined terms. We have made up terms. We are wordy and vocal on the social platform level. Very wordy. And that's a safe zone for people because you can hide behind a screen. You kind of get that, you kind of get a barrier there, man. You can let it all let it all out and you don't have to worry about reaction. Because if you get the wrong reaction, you just hit delete or unfollow or block and you're done. And you can continue on with the insanity. Because that it is. Let me tell you what, let me tell you what the social platform is. It's called insanity because it's what taking you nowhere. It's not accomplishing anything, but you're doing the same old thing over and over and over again. With no results. Y'all, y'all understand that. But it, what, what it is, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a breeding ground. It's a, it's a festering of just nothing but anger. Look what Jesus said here. Verse 22, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. Whoever insults, or some versions say raka. Anybody, whose Bible says raka? R-A-C-A. That's a very interesting word. Whoever says raka, who it says here, will be liable of the council. But whoever says you fool will be liable of hell fire. Now here's two things Jesus is kind of pointing out. First of all, that word raka there literally means you empty-headed, brainless idiot. You're stupid. So in other words, he said, if you're angry and you, you attack a person's intelligence, then he says, if you look at that person and say, you fool, this, this is a great tr- Greek translation because it's, it's, it, in, in the Greek it is moros and it's where we get our English word moron from. And so here he's saying, if you attack a person's character, you're guilty of hell. You see, my friend, that's why these are very hard topics. (laughs) Because I guarantee you just this week, we've all attacked somebody's character. 
You fool. You idiot. You brainless moron. Now let me ask you something. Has anybody in this house besides me been guilty of using those words? And we laugh at that and we, 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 we jeer at that and we're like, oh yeah, I've done it, yeah. Jesus said, this is a serious issue. Now here's the deliberate paradox that Jesus is shoving before us. Words that become ordinary insults betray the attitude of a murderer. He said, I, they said of old, if you murder, you're going to be what? Guilty of judgment. I say that if you are angry and you say, Raka, you fool, you're guilty of hell. You see, my friend, Jesus is saying anger is as serious as murder. Let me ask you something. How many of you have hurt somebody with words? You know what you can do with words? You can kill a man's spirit. You can kill a man's dreams. You can kill a man's hopes. Words will kill marriage. Words will kill friendships. Jesus said if the things you say will kill a man's, what, his character, you'll kill his self-esteem. You idiot. You're stupid. You're dumb. What is wrong with you, you brainless moron? Words become weapons, he said. And he said, listen, this is a serious issue. When you wish a person dead by your words becoming weapons, you murder a person's heart, you murder a person's spirit. Radical righteousness. Jesus said, is not refraining from acting on your emotions. It's refraining from even going there. That's a radical righteousness. You say, well, I don't act on my anger. No, but you're angry and you went there. Jesus said, if you're angry. The, the downside is, is when it comes out. Raka, you fool. Now, we could really, really just sit down right here for about 30 minutes. Because here's what's sad. This demand that Jesus is putting on kingdom people should drive us. Now listen, Jesus got angry, did he not? Sure he did. But it was a righteous anger. He did not belittle character. He attacked sin. None of us have been guilty of this. Why are these idiots acting the way they do in this world? How do we expect lost people to act? Morons. Why do they do the things they do? Jesus said, listen, your anger. Your anger. So number two, he said, here's some steps to get things right. Now here's what you need to understand. We find this very true to be uh, in the Word of God, kingdom people have been given this particular ministry of reconciliation. Do y'all get that? Jesus, God gave us a 
God gave us a ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. You can read that on your own. And it tells us we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. And what is that? We're trying to bring people to God, bring people to Jesus. But here's the problem. Here's the, and I heard that I heard this this week, and I'm going to use it, and, and, and I'll, I'll give credit to the individual that said it, but, man, it spoke to my heart. I was going down the road, and I was listening to this article on the Sermon on the Mount, and this individual made this statement. People in the world are asking these questions. What do, what do kind people look like? What do honest people look like? What do friendly people look like? What do compassionate people look like? And this, uh, this guy said, or this preacher said, hopefully those people that are out there asking those questions will turn around and say, well, if you go down there to the north side, you'll see what compassionate, friendly, kind people look like. But what is the normal case? Because the normal case is we have been given this spirit of this ministry of reconciliation, but we're the biggest dividers and we use it, we use it under the guise of righteous indignation. But we are divisionals. We, we divide. Well, my, just, my, rice, my anger is justifiable, Pastor, because I don't like that stuff. Yeah, I don't like that stuff either, but I sure like that person that, that God died for. That's what you've got to understand. You've got you to make a distinction between a person and its sin because sin what, is not what defines an individual. That's a choice they've made. And when you've got a dark, crusted, sinful, wicked, evil heart, what do you expect to come out of that person? You see, my friend, Paul said it best. Such were some of you. But you've been washed. You've been clean. You've come to the cross. You've come to Jesus. But what about the multitude out there that has it? Oh, they're fools. No, let me tell you something. They're lost. They're in darkness. They need a Savior. And we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. Now, that wasn't in my notes, so don't clap too much because I've got to get finished here. Kingdom people, Jesus said, are peacemakers. Five, chapter 5, verse 9. We're commanded. Here's something. To live at peace with all men. The Bible tells us that in Romans chapter 12 verse 8. Psalms 133 verse 1. The word of God said it is a beautiful thing when God's people get along. How beautiful it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. Jesus is emphasizing the importance of getting things right before it gets to the point of being out of control and beyond fixing. So it's, it is far more important, Jesus said. This, look what he said in verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. So here's something interesting, and, and I hope that, that, that this is helping you as much as it's helped me. It's far more important, Jesus says, to get yourself right with a person than it is for you to fulfill your external duties of worship. Jesus said it's more important for you to get things right with your brother than it is for you to worship. Listen, worship, worship becomes hypocritical and prayers very hollow when you refuse to make things right with somebody that you've offended. 
So my question is this. How many times have I walked into this church and sat in that seat and my worship had been nothing? And my prayers have been nothing because of something I've said or something I've felt towards somebody else that was not a justifiable reason. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great English minister, said this, Integrity cannot be made up for by ceremony. You won't worship. You won't pray. You won't read this book enough to get it off of you. Jesus said, get, get it right. Go get it right. Then come back and we can pick up where we left off. Go get it right. Go get that thing right. Go fix that. Those you've offended. With what? Words you used. Verse 22. You fool. God said, I'm sorry, but your worship is not acceptable because of what's sitting here. And let me tell you something. You could worship, and you might be believing your own delusion, and you may feel like you're scratching heaven's, heaven's, heaven's ears, but I got to tell you, God said, you ain't going to hear nothing. I'm not going to hear nothing because you ain't going to get that thing right. You see how important your earthly relationships are in comparison to your heavenly relationship? Is what he's saying. All the church going and doing will never produce a clear conscience. Discord in relationships affects my relationship to God. There is a great price to be paid when personal conflicts go unsettled. Every relationship demands a sensitiveness ensuring that differences and disagreements do not escalate to an unfixable position. That's what he said in verse 26. If you don't get it right, you are going to end up in a situation where somebody's going to pay dearly. And let me tell you something. Let me tell you that somebody is. It's both parties. Both parties. Jesus is not saying, church, that God's people are not to be angry people. He said, you better be angry at the right things for the right reasons, at the right people. And what did, that, what did, what did Aristotle say? That's not easy. That's why this must drive us back to who? Christ. Jesus. Because let me tell you something. If you go back to Him, the source most of the anger that we feel, we will be convicted over it. Please hear me out, church. This has got to drive you to Christ. Don't be coming up in this altar saying, God, I've got to, I've got to fix my own anger because I'm going to tell you something. By the time you leave here, it'll already, you've already failed him. It's got to drive you to Christ. He is the source of what? Dealing with anger. Because when you look through the eyes of Christ... Boy, things take on a whole other dimension. We live in a very, very, very unjustifiable anger society. Repulsive the way people act. You know what anger is? Anger is a child's reaction to an adult situation. That's anger. Now, I want you to take a good, long, hard think about that. And think about how much childish, childish actions are unfolding. Childish reaction to an adult situation is what anger is. You know what it is? I'm not getting my way and I'm ticked. That's exactly what it is. And Jesus said that's about on the same level as a murderer. 
because you don't value people anymore. There's no worth. Life to us is very cheap. Relationships, expendable. Yeah. If I don't like you, okay. Now, let me give you a takeaway. So maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're like, you know what, Scott, I'm not feeling it when it comes to church, when it comes to God, when it comes to prayer, when it comes to reading my Bible, when it comes to the Spirit of God. It could be there's an offense between you. Maybe you've been a jerk to somebody. Don't expect to get this book, man, if, you're, if you've got this in your life. So here's a personal takeaway. Number one, avoid spiritual superiority. You say, what does that mean? Stop thinking of yourself more spiritual and looking down on stupid people behaving the way they do. Now listen to me what I'm getting ready to say. We don't ever, we don't ever, we don't ever condone sin. Amen, church. But I don't look down on somebody. Like I am it and they are not. Hopeless, worthless, meaningless. No. This sense of superiority, and it's, man, it's present now like it's ever been. There's us and then there's them mentality. Number two, stop devaluing people as nobody's worthless and hopeless. Number three, be careful how you use your words, what you say to other people. Don't be hostile toward people, initiating verbal attacks. Psalms 39. Number four, takeaway, live like Jesus commands. I will refrain from using words as weapons. And I will do whatever it takes to keep the relationship alive. Amen? Did you notice what it said? Live like Jesus says to live. Go back to Him. Number five, I'm in a learning process. I'm learning that I'm not perfect or innocent in any situation. Number two, I'm learning that contempt and hostility cannot be a part of my life. It's dangerous, toxic. You might be sitting here this morning, and every time I've said a word, it's kind of just infuriated you more and more and more and more. I see how t- there's such a, a toxicity about anger. It is toxic. Ain't nobody, listen, nobody has ever known what full-blown anger is like Jesus has. Jesus faced anger on a horizontal level and on a vertical level. He took, he, took, he, took, he took it from the people he ministered to, but in the end, he took it from his father. His holy anger, wrath was poured out on his son. And what did Peter say? When he was reviled, he reviled not. He just kept silent. Some things are best left unsaid. Now, I'm learning that God places a high value on my relationships. So let me give you four ways of dealing with anger. Here they are. Number one, 
avoid the situation at all costs. You know what? Let me give you something that's just about as elementary as it can be. Learn to walk away. Better to save a relationship than make your point. Amen. Y'all breathing this morning, church. Colossians 3.8. Number two, don't go into, listen, don't go in hot. Choose a lower gear when it comes to anger. Amen. I love my wife. She's the best driver in this church. But man, when she gets an exit, she goes in hot, man. I said, you're coming in hot, babe. You better tone it down. She's coming in hot. This thing says five-mile-an-hour curve. She's coming in at 50. <laughs> so many of us, when it goes into a situation, man, we're going in hot. God said, you ought to punt that thing in a lower gear just a minute. You know what this Bible, James 1.9 says? Be swift to hear and slow to speak. Put it in a lower gear. Don't come in hot. Come in low, man. Low. Amen. Number three, don't let anger take the steering wheel and determine the course of action. Jesus, take the wheel. Don't let anger do it because there's no telling where that thing's going. If you want to, listen, if you want to see a relationship go in the ditch, let anger take the steering wheel. It's heading there. You know who initiates most arguments, don't you? It's not the one presenting it. It's the one perceiving. Perception, it's what I'm perceiving. It may not be what's being presented, but whatever I'm perceiving, I'm coming in hot. Because, man, if I'm not taking it the way you're giving it, I'm putting the gloves up. I'm putting the defense up. I'm, I'm, yeah, and so listen, the one that, that, is being, that is perceiving is mostly the one that causes the argument. Why? You just don't understand what I'm trying to say. Because I'm already what? I got this, I've got this personal affront. You, you've done knocked the chip off. Now it's on. You've got you to gotta listen. Here's the last one. Aaron, you can come on up, son. Quit nursing your anger. Quit nursing it. Listen, I think, I think the best course of action is starve it out. Amen? Don't nurse that thing. Be done with it. Quit feeding it. Quit sitting around thinking about it. Quit, quit giving it what it wants. And what is Jesus saying here? Anger, this contemptuous anger, is the cause of all these other five you're fixing to talk about. When there is not a healthy desire, you will begin to lust for something else. When you're angry, you will not love your enemies. You will resent people. He said, anger is a, I mean, it's a heart of this thing. So let me ask you something this morning. Are you angry? How many people in this church are angry? I think this is the time to get it dealt with. Say, Lord, I've been angry. And it ain't just, it's not right. 